Section 9 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Methods of Economy, Part 2. The greater number of workmen possess little capital save their labor, and, as we have already seen, many of them uselessly and wastefully spend most of their earnings instead of saving them and becoming capitalists. By combining in large numbers for the purposes of economical working, they might easily become capitalists and operate upon a large scale. As society is now constituted, every man is not only justified but bound in duty as a citizen to accumulate his earnings by all fair and honorable methods with the view of securing a position of ultimate competence and independence. We do not say that men should save and hoard their gains for the mere sake of saving and hoarding. This would be parsimony and avarice. But we do say that all men ought to aim at accumulating a sufficiency, enough to maintain them in comfort during the helpless years that are to come, to maintain them in times of sickness and of sorrow and in old age, which, if it does come, ought to find them with a little store of capital in hand, sufficient to secure them from dependence upon the charity of others. Workmen are, for the most part, disposed to associate, but the association is not always of a healthy kind. It sometimes takes the form of unions against masters, and displays itself in the strikes that are so common and usually so unfortunate. Workmen also strike against men of their own class for the purpose of excluding them from their special calling. One of the principal objects of trade unions is to keep up wages at the expense of the lower paid and unassociated working people. They endeavor to prevent poorer men learning their trade and thus keep the supply of labor below the demand. This system may last for a time, but it becomes ruinous in the end. It is not the want of money that prevents skilled workmen from becoming capitalists and opening the door for the employment of laboring men who are poorer and less skilled than themselves. The workpeople threw away half a million sterling during the Preston strike, after which they went back to work at the old terms. The London building trades threw away over 300,000 pounds during their strike, and even had they obtained the terms for which they struck, it would have taken six years to recoup them for their loss. The colliers in the Forest of Dean went back to work at the old terms after 11 weeks' play at the loss of 50,000 pounds. The ironworkers of Northumberland and Durham, after spending a third of the year in idleness and losing 200,000 pounds in wages, went back to work at a reduction of 10%. The colliers and ironworkers of South Wales during the recent strike or lockout were idle for four months and, according to Lord Aberdare, lost in wages alone not less than three millions sterling. Here, then, is abundance of money within the power of working men, money which they might utilize but do not. Think only of a solitary million out of the three million sterling which they threw away during the coal strike being devoted to the starting of collieries or iron mills or manufactories to be worked by cooperative production for the benefit of the operatives themselves. With frugal habits, says Mr. Gregg, the well-conditioned workman might in 10 years easily have 500 pounds in the bank. And combining his savings with 20 other men similarly disposed, 
they might have 10,000 pounds for the purpose of starting any manufacture in which they are adepts. That this is not an impractical scheme is capable of being easily proved. The practice of cooperation has long been adopted by workpeople throughout England. A large proportion of the fishery industry has been conducted on that principle for hundreds of years. Fishermen join in building, rigging, and manning a boat. The proceeds of the fish they catch at sea is divided amongst them. So much to the boat, so much to the fishermen. The company of oyster dredgers of Whitsable, quote, has existed time out of mind, end quote, though it was only in 1793 that they were incorporated by Act of Parliament. The tin miners of Cornwall have also acted on the same principle. They have mined, washed, and sold the tin, dividing the proceeds among themselves in certain proportions, most probably from the time that the Phoenicians carried away the produce to their ports in the Mediterranean. In our own time, cooperation has been practiced to a considerable extent. In 1795, the whole Anti-Mill Industrial Society was founded. The reasons for its association are explained in the petition addressed to the mayor and aldermen of Hull by the first members of the society. The petition begins thus, quote, We, the poor inhabitants of the said town, have lately experienced much trouble and sorrow in ourselves and families on the occasion of the exorbitant price of flour. And though the price is much reduced at present, yet we judge it needful to take every precaution to preserve ourselves from the invasions of covetous and merciless men in future." End quote. They accordingly entered into a subscription to build a mill in order to supply themselves with flour. The corporation granted their petition and supported them by liberal donations. The mill was built and exists to this day. It now consists of more than 4,000 members, each holding a share of 25 shillings. The members belong principally to the laboring classes. The millers endeavored by action at law to put down the society, but the attempt was successfully resisted. The society manufactures flour and sells it to the members at market price, dividing the profits annually amongst the shareholders, according to the quantity consumed in each member's family. The society has proved eminently remunerative. Many years passed before the example of the, quote, poor inhabitants, end quote, of Hull was followed. It was only in 1847 that the cooperators of Leeds purchased a flour mill, and in 1850 that those of Rockdale did the same, since which time they have manufactured flour for the benefit of their members. The corn millers of Leeds attempted to undersell the Leeds Industrial Society. They soon failed, and the price of flour was permanently reduced. The Leeds mill does business amounting to more than 100,000 pounds yearly. Its capital amounts to 22,000 pounds, and it paid more than 8,000 pounds of profits and bonuses to its 3,600 members in 1866, besides supplying them with flour of the best quality. The Rockdale District Cooperative Corn Mill Society has also been eminently successful. It supplies flowers to consumers residing within a radius of about 15 miles round Rockdale. It also supplies flour to 62 cooperative societies, numbering over 12,000 members. Its business in 1866 amounted to 224,000 pounds and its profits to over 18,000 pounds. The Rockdale Corn Mill grew out of the Rockdale Equitable Pioneer Society, which formed an epoch in the history of industrial cooperative institutions. 
the Equitable Pioneers Society was established in the year 1844, at a time when trade was in a very bad condition and working people generally were heartless and hopeless as to their future state. Some 28 or 30 men, mostly flannel weavers, met and formed themselves into a society for the purpose of economizing their hard-won earnings. It is pretty well known that working men generally pay at least 10% more for the articles they consume than they need to do under a sounder system. Professor Fawcett estimates their loss at nearer 20% than 10%. At all events, these working men wished to save this amount of profit, which before went into the pockets of the distributors of the necessaries, in other words, into the pockets of the shopkeepers. The weekly subscription was two pence each, and when about 52 calls of two pence each had been made, they found that they were able to buy a sack of oatmeal, which they distributed at cost price amongst the members of the society. The number of members grew and the subscriptions so increased that the society was enabled to buy tea, sugar, and other articles and distribute them amongst the members at cost price. They superseded the shopkeepers and became their own tradesmen, they insisted from the first on payments in cash. No credit was given. The society grew. It established a store for the sale of food, firing, clothes, and other necessaries. In a few years, the members set on foot the cooperative corn mill. They increased the capital by the issue of one pound shares and began to make and sell clothes and shoes. They also sold drapery, but the principal trade consisted in the purchase and sale of provisions, butcher's meat, groceries, flowers, and such like. Notwithstanding the great distress during the period of the cotton famine, the society continued to prosper. From the first, it set apart a portion of its funds for educational purposes and established a newsroom and a library, which now contains over 6,000 volumes. The society continued to increase until it possessed 11 branches for the sale of goods and stores in or near Rockdale, besides the original office in Toad Lane. At the end of 1866, it had 6,246 members and a capital of 99,908 pounds. Its income for goods sold and cash received during the year was 249,122 pounds and the gross profit 31,931 pounds. But this was not all. Two and a half percent was appropriated from the net profits to support the newsrooms and library, and there are now 11 news and reading rooms at different places in or near the town where the society carries on its business. The sum devoted to this object amounting to over 700 pounds per annum. The members play at chess and draughts and use the stereoscopic views, microscopes, and telescopes placed in the libraries. No special arrangements have been made to promote temperance, but the newsrooms and library exercise a powerful and beneficial influence in promoting sobriety. It has been said that the society has done more to remove drunkenness from Rockdale than all that the advocates of temperance have been able to effect. The example of the Rockdale pioneers has exercised a powerful influence on workingmen throughout the northern counties of England. There is scarcely a town or village but has a cooperative institution of one kind or another. These societies have promoted habits of saving, of thrift, and of temperance. They have given the people an interest in money matters and enabled them to lay out their earnings to the best advantage. They have also given the working people some knowledge of business, for the whole of their concerns are managed by committees selected at the general meetings of the members. One of the most flourishing cooperative societies is that established at Over Darwin. 
The society has erected a row of handsome buildings in the center of the town. The shops for the sale of provisions, groceries, clothing, and other necessaries occupy the lower story. Over the shops are the library, reading rooms, and classrooms, which are open to the members and their families. The third story consists of a large public hall, which is used for lectures, concerts, and dances. There are six branches of the society established in different parts of the town. A large amount of business is done and the profits are very considerable. These are divided amongst the members in proportion to the purchases made by them. The profits are, for the most part, reinvested in joint stock paper mills, cotton mills, and collieries in the neighborhood of Darwin. One of the most praiseworthy features of the society is the provision made for the free education of the members and their families. Two and a half percent of the profits are appropriated for the purpose. While inspecting the institution a few months ago, we were informed that the science classes were so efficiently conducted that one of the pupils had just obtained a government scholarship of 50 pounds a year for three years, including free instruction at the School of Mines, German Street, London, with a free use of the laboratories during that period. There are also two other cooperative institutions in the same place, and we were informed that the working people of Darwin are, for the most part, hardworking, sober, and thrifty. The example has also spread into Scotland and the south of England. At Northampton, a cooperative society exists for the purpose of buying and selling leather, and also for the manufacture of boots and shoes. At Padaham and other places in Lancashire, cooperative cotton mills have been established. The Manchester and Salford Equitable Cooperative Society, quote, combine the securities and facilities of a bank with the profits of a trade, end quote. But the business by which they mostly thrive is by the purchase and sale of food, provisions, groceries, draperies, and other articles, with the exception of intoxicating liquors. The sole secret of their success consists in ready money. They give no credit, everything is done for cash, the profit of the trade being divided amongst the members. Every businessman knows that cash payment is the soundest method of conducting business. The Rockdale pioneers, having discovered the secret, have spread it amongst their class. In their, quote, advice to members of this and other societies, end quote, they say, quote, look well after money matters, buy your goods as much as possible in the first markets. Or, if you have the produce of your industry to sell, contrive, if possible, to sell it in the last. Never depart from the principle of buying and selling for ready money. Beware of long reckonings." End quote. In short, the cooperative societies became tradesmen on a large scale, and besides the pureness of the food sold, their profit consisted in the discount for cash payments, which was divided amongst the members. Land and building societies constitute another form of cooperation. These are chiefly supported by the minor middle-classmen, but also to a considerable extent by the skilled and thrifty working-classmen. By their means, portions of land are bought and dwelling houses are built. By means of a building society, a person who desires to possess a house enters the society as a member, and instead of paying his rent to the landlord, pays his subscriptions and interest to a committee of his friends, and in course of time, when his subscriptions are paid up, the house is purchased and conveyed to him by the society. The building society is thus a savings bank where money accumulates for a certain purpose. But even those who do not purchase a house receive a dividend and bonus on their shares, which sometimes amounts to a considerable sum.
The accumulation of property has the effect which it always has upon thrifty men. It makes them steady, sober, and diligent. It weans them from revolutionary notions and makes them conservative. When workmen, by their industry and frugality, have secured their own independence, they will cease to regard the sight of others' well-being as a wrong inflicted on themselves, and it will no longer be possible to make political capital out of their imaginary woes. It has been said that freehold land societies, which were established for political objects, had the effect of weaning men from political reform. They were first started in Birmingham for the purpose of enabling men to buy land and divide it into 40 shilling freeholds so that the owners might become electors and vote against the corn laws. The corn laws have been done away with, but the holders of freehold land still exist, though many of them have ceased to be politicians. Quote, Mr. Arthur Ryland informs me, end quote, said Mr. Holyoke in a recent paper on building societies, Quote, that in Birmingham, numbers of persons under the influence of these societies have forsaken patriotism for profits, and I know both cooperators and chartists who were loudmouthed for social and political reform, who now care no more for it than a Whig government, and decline to attend a public meeting on a fine night, while they would crawl like the serpent in Eden through a gutter in a storm after a good security. They have tasted land and the gravel has got into their souls. Yet to many others, end quote, he adds, quote, these societies have taught a healthy frugality they never else would have known and enabled many an industrious son to take to his home his poor old father, who expected and dreaded to die in the workhouse, and set him down to smoke his pipe in the sunshine in the garden, of which the land and the house belong to his child, end quote. The Leeds Permanent Building Society, which has furnished healthy tenements for about 200 families, sets forth the following recommendations of the influence which it has exercised amongst the working classes of that town. Quote, it is truly cheering to hear the members themselves at occasional meetings tell how, from small savings hitherto deemed too little for active application, they began to invest in the society, then to build or buy, then to advance in life and come to competence from extending their savings in this manner. The provident habits and knowledge thus induced are most beneficial to the members, and the result is that the careless become thoughtful, and on saving become orderly, respectable, propertied, and in every way better citizens, neighbors, and more worthy and comfortable. The employment of money in this useful direction encourages trade, advances prices and wages, comforts the working classes, and at the same time provides the means of home enjoyments without which such advances would be comparatively useless and certainly uncertain." End quote. There are also exceptional towns and villages in Lancashire where large sums of money have been saved by the operatives for buying or building comfortable cottage dwellings. Last year, Padaham saved about 15,000 pounds for this purpose, although its population is only about 8,000. Burnley has also been very successful. The building society there has 6,600 investors who saved last year 160,000 pounds, or an average of 24 pounds for each investor. The members consist principally of mill operatives, miners, mechanics, engineers, carpenters, stonemasons, and laborers. They also include women, both married and unmarried. Our informant states that, quote, great numbers of the working classes have purchased houses in which to live. They have likewise bought houses as a means of investment. 
The Building Society has assisted in hundreds of these cases by advancing money on mortgage, such mortgages being repaid by easy installments." End quote. Building societies are, on the whole, among the most excellent methods of illustrating the advantages of thrift. They induce men to save money for the purpose of buying their own homes, in which, so long as they live, they possess the best of all securities. End of section 9